0: Good morning. Okay, okay, okay. Um, Carol has an announcement. Actually, I have two
1: announcements, and guess what? They're about Christmas sharing. <laughs> First of all, tomorrow night is our uh, initial kickoff, which means it is we've got to move all of the furniture out of the. Sunday school rooms, move all of that out, move tables and everything else in, and the piles of stuff that you have generously given so far has to be all moved. So anybody that's free tomorrow between 7 and 8.30 p.m., if you could show up ready to work, it would be great. The other, um, the list for the special requests that we have is in. It's downstairs posted Buy the sign-up sheets. If you're interested, go down, check it out. Black Friday's coming. Time to get deals. And thank you for that.
0: Uh, my announcement is that the offering for today is for um, voice, voice of Care, right? Yes. yes. Yeah, Voice of Care. Okay. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us, sinners. Amen. Amen. Okay, we have a big agenda for today. And, um, okay, I'm quite excited because uh, we just have to, to go and go and go, okay, <laughs> to, to get it done. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm just a little bit worried because two days ago I got an email from the seminary. And the trouble is Pastor Bruce got the email too, saying that he has to report on me. Uh, to the seminary, and I, you know, I'm afraid if I don't do this right, uh, I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna run into a big, big trouble, so um, pray for me, okay, pray for me, okay, so um, let's start with the third petition uh, where we left off last last time, but I'll just mention a few things because then we have further to go. Now, the third petition is the last of the first group where we are asking God to make Earth more like Heaven, right? We are asking f- primarily for things concerning God. In a sense, we are praying for God, and uh, and we what we want that He does for us that He do, that He does for us in these petitions is is really bringing Heaven down to Earth or binding Earth and Heaven together, right? So the phrase, as I said last time, the phrase, "On Earth as it is in Heaven." doesn't apply only to the third petition, but to the three first petitions. God's will, God's name, um, are to be done and to be present on earth as they are in heaven. Okay, but now the third petition, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? The will of God is always done on earth in ultimate terms, right? But we know that in the way, God's will is not done to the extent that he wishes because the world still is a broken place. So we are praying for a future time where things will be cleared out and the will of God will be done fully on earth too. And here on earth, the devil's will still hinders uh, God's will. So we pray that uh, the devil's will be broken and God's will be done, right? When we were, were baptized we were enlisted in a lifelong struggle against against the devil. That's pretty much what James says in chapter 4. He says, Friendship with the world is enmity with God. And included in this verse is the opposite statement, which is friendship with God is enmity with the world. So if we are friends of with God, if we are sons of the Father, brothers of Jesus, then we have all the world against us. We have the devil chasing us, Right? So we should expect to have uh, the devil as our enemy and inflict every possible grief and misfortune upon us so that we despise God's worth and forget that he is our Father. Uh, The devil cannot bear uh, the fact that his kingdom uh, might be diminished through our prayer and through faith in Christ. And that his, his will be broken, so that's why um, he prowls around us. He st- stirs up our flesh and the world, right, to work against God's kingdom and against us. So we pray that in this petition, God's will be done, that we bear with patience Satan's attacks and overcome them so that we don't fall in sin and lose faith. But that's all I want really to really say about the third petition. And now let's move, move quickly to the other ones. The fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread. And, you know, essentially this is a prayer against worry. Really, it's a prayer against, against worry. And I believe that worry is perhaps the most common sin among Christians. I mean, I talk for myself. You know, you know. all of us kind of know the story of the guy that kind of, he doesn't sleep because he, he worries, and then he worries because he doesn't sleep, <laughs> and now he's worried, so he won't sleep because he's worried. I mean, it's just a, ne- a never-ending cycle, you know. Don't be that guy, right? Don't do it, because Christ tells you not to worry, and in fact, he gives, gives you a prayer to not worry about your life and the life of your dear ones, if that's the case, So in Matthew 6, uh, Jesus teaches very pointedly about about worry. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Right? So worry accomplishes nothing, really. It does nothing for you, besides wearing you out. You cannot add anything to your life worrying. Um, so, and then Jesus goes on. He says, consider the lilies of the field, right? Right? If God so clothes the grass of the field, will he not much more clothe you? Right? Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I think I saw a hand there. Yeah. So what you're saying
1: is not to worry about the Baptist reporting seminary.
0: That's yeah. That that's part of it, right? If I get through the Lord's Prayer, I won't worry. Okay? Um So, Jesus um, leads us away from worry, but He does not prohibit us nor hinder us from asking about these needs. Rather, He wants us to pray about them, because trusting prayer to the Father is the antidote to worry. You say it, you deliver it to God's hands, you trust it, don't think about it anymore. Right, um, But here in this petition, you know, the Holy Spirit got a little bit creative because he, he uses a word that nobody knows what it means. And that's kind of a nice thing because, I mean, we, we say daily bread and that's fine. But the fact is that the word that the Holy Spirit used through Matthew is a word that is not found in any literature in the world besides the lord's prayer so you cannot compare it against anything right you don't know the meaning for sure now you can make educated guesses and that's what the church has made throughout the ages now the guesses are you know a daily bread, b Bread coming near c Bread for tomorrow but perhaps the answer is d all of the above right we are asking God to give us bread all over, that, that bread never fails us, neither today, neither tomorrow, neither throughout our whole life, right? So, and perhaps that's, that's the whole point. You know, and the Holy Spirit made up, re- really, the Word just for the Lord's Prayer so that we can ask God that He never lets us down, right? But now, what does bread mean? Is it just bread? Don't we need anything else besides bread? Do we live just by bread, right? Throughout the centuries, Christians have read and prayed uh, this petition as a reference to the food that sustains our lives and bodies on earth. Chrysostom took it that way. Luther took it that way in his catechisms, too and many other people. So if we take it that way, uh, this is a humble request that God would give us each day the bread that is coming near, right? The bread for today, for tomorrow, for the rest of our time, that it comes to us from his fatherly hand. So essential to the prayer is the trust that our father will give us what we need right as psalm 145 says the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season you open your hand you satisfy the desire of every living thing so that's one thing that is essential is the trust that you will give the second thing is the knowledge that our father is not only the source, but that he will give always what we need and that there's there's bread in the house, right? When we knock at, at, at God's door, there's always bread in the house. Jesus tells this parable in Luke 11 about this friend that knocks at the door of another friend because he has three visitors, but he has no bread. It's the middle of the night. And this friend says, go away, I'm, I'm, I'm in bed with my, with my children. I'm not, you know, going to get up to give you bread. But he keeps asking and knocking, right? And, uh, and then Jesus says, um, though he will not get up and give him anything because, of his, because he is his friend, yet because of his insistence or impudence, he will rise and give him what he needs. So insistence, persistence, impudence. Um, that's, that's all we do when we pray the Lord's Prayer every time, you know. And there's days that we actually do. You know, today in church, we are doing it like uh, three times, right? Uh, and that perhaps we'll do more uh, when we go home. So the, the, the vital point in this, in, this, in this parable is that when we come to God in prayer, asking that He gives us what we need, we we know for sure we are certain that he has it to give us right and we keep asking now the things that we need to sustain our lives include many things besides just literal food right so luther says in the large catechism the following here we must expand And extend our thoughts to include not just the oven or the flour bin, but everything that belongs to our entire life in this world, because it is only for the sake of this life that we need daily bread. So he goes on in describing all these things that we are asking and that we can think of when we are praying Uh, this petition, things like food, drink, clothing, house, land, upright spouse, children, employees, health, wisdom in household management, employment, good neighbors and good friends, peaceful and stable government, good magistrates, effective policemen and firefighters, right? We pray for protection against storms, hail, fire, flood, poison, diseases, war, famine, wild animals, wicked people, and especially, he says, against the devil. Because the devil is the one whose whole purpose is to take away the things that God gives us interfere with all that we have received from God so that we despair of God and we don't trust God and finally lose faith, right? So in sum, we ask that uh, for, for everything that sustains our life, but also for all the things that w- or against all the things that would impede us from enjoying God's gifts um, on earth. Okay, so um, that's that's about the fourth petition. I don't know if there's any common. Perhaps better not. <laughs> um, the fifth petition: Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Um, I think this is an awesome petition for several reasons, and I, I will try to make it clear. Um, this petition was given us for two reasons. The first is that we know that we need God's forgiveness. Sometimes we forget about it because we think too high of ourselves. Um, so we have God's Word. We have faith. We obey and submit to God's will and are nourished daily by His gifts. But still, we daily sin, right? Right? And um, by word and deed, by thought, by acts of of commission, by acts of omission, uh, we have been forgiven, and yet we continue to need forgiveness. Life is such that no one ever reaches the point where he or she doesn't need this forgiveness. As Luther says, unless God constantly forgives... We are lost. Besides that, you know, the world is chaotic. Life is messy. Uh, People are unfair to us. So we have plenty of occasions for things like impatience, hatred, anger, vengeance, right? Our nature is inclined to these things, and uh, and then the devil tempts us all along. So we fall in sin. And when we do so, we become more restless. Uh, we fear God's judgment and lose comfort. So the petition has this very purpose of reminding us that God actually forgives us when we pray. The second reason is... Not only to remind but to assure that we have this forgiveness. And how is this assurance how does this assurance comes about? Um, the, main, the main way that the prayer does it is, is, is through actually the condition, that is attached to the petition, you know. And Jesus then, exp- uh, Jesus then uh, expounds on this later on after he says the prayer. And the idea is, if you forgive, your sins are forgiven, but if you don't forgive, right? Um, and we can think as, I mean, many times I thought, this, that's not good news because, you know, sometimes I don't feel like forgiving. Um, so we are in bad trouble when, I mean, when, when, when Jesus, it seems like, right? But, but the point is, the point is that when we pray the Lord's Prayer, actually, if we are Christian, we already have forgiven, right? Um, the, the people who say the Lord's Prayer are Christian, are forgiven by God. And the point is that those who have been forgiven by God are enabled by this forgiveness you forgive, right? Um, In such a way that the fact that we forgive people becomes a sign, becomes a seal, becomes in a way, and carefully said, becomes in a way sacrament because it assures us of God's forgiveness. I mean, and I'm not saying it, Luther said it, okay? So, um, he said that uh, whatever baptism and the Lord's Supper, uh, which are appointed to us as outward signs, can affect this sign, our forgiveness of our neighbor, can, can affect as well. In order to strengthen and gladden our conscience, Moreover, above and beyond the other signs, it has been instituted precisely so that we can use and practice it every hour, keeping it with us at all times. In another place, he says he says actually that our forgiveness of others is a means of grace, you know, because, uh, because it, does, it does for us what baptism and the Lord's Supper does. Uh, it, tells, it tells us, it shows us what God has done as done for us, right? God doesn't forgive on account of our forgiving, but His forgiveness enables our forgiving. So if we forgive, we can be sure that God has forgiven us. That's the clear sign, right? Um, that He has done so. So, God forgives first, we forgive second. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, God, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Right? Um, So, we we make peace with one another because because of what Christ did for us. Um, Daniel Pavel, I think that's the way that his name is said. He's a professor at Concordia University of Wisconsin. Uh, he wrote a book on prayer, and uh, he helpfully, uh, on the, in this book, describes God's forgiveness to us as a flood. Right? We have been flooded by God's forgiveness. It is immeasurable. You cannot, even, you cannot reckon it. You cannot count um, God forgives you immensely. It's a flood. Forgiveness comes to us in this way, right? So denying to our neighbor some of the water that floods us, that floods our house, that floods our yard, with fear that we might not have enough water for ourselves, is unthinkable, right? He says it's, it's insanity, that you would deny your neighbor to ask you some of that water because, I mean, the, your whole house is, is flooded, right? You don't need it. You don't need it all for yourself. So God floods us with forgiveness so that our neighbors can have any amount from us that they need. Refusal to forgive our neighbor is like trying to clutch a handful of water. The harder you Hold it; the less you have, right? Um, and that's that's kind of the the less pleasant part of the of the um, of the condition, which is you, you know, if you don't forgive, it it actually shows you that you have not received appropriated into yourself through faith the forgiveness that God has bestowed on you through Christ. Now, forgiveness is essentially an action of the will, right? Of the will that has been renewed by the gospel about Christ. When we forgive, we decide that we are not willing to take revenge, that we are not willing to bear a grudge, payback, but do good when we have opportunity. Mixed emotions about a wrong that was done to us in the past um, is not a sign that we have not forgiven our neighbor because forgiveness is essentially an act of the will. Emotions come and go. We might have a bad day. We might have run into something that reminds us of the wrong, you know, But we can always run back to Christ's forgiving us constantly and ask Christ, please have mercy on me and help me to forgive again, right? And when you forgive again, you are blessed because then you have again the sign, the sacrament, so to speak, that shows you that Christ has forgiven You, too. So there are two different things. One is finding it hard to forgive or being for a time unable to forgive. When we say, I desire to do it, but cannot unless you help me, God. And the second is being unwilling to forgive and saying, I will not do it. I don't want to do it. And this is what we don't want to say. Um, can we move on? Okay. Now, sixth and seventh petitions. And we'll, we'll, we'll look at these petitions together because I was reading, I was reading a commentator that says that these petitions should be read together. And I think it makes perfect sense uh, because otherwise we end up asking ourselves if God tempts us and we run into a problem because James tells us that God tempts no one. Right. But if we read them together, we kind of we kind of get to what to what Jesus is saying. So temptations, uh, the petitions are lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right. Temptations are challenges to our status as sons of the Father. Uh, Christ was tempted in the desert because he is the Son of the father and so we are tempted because Christ was tempted we are sons like he is son right does god tempt uh, tempt anyone james tells let no one say when he is tempted i am being tempted by god for god cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one right so the answer is clearly no god tempts no one But if we read the petitions as one, then we kind of get at what Jesus is saying. Um, And we can do this in two ways. We can think of these petitions being Jesus telling two things or, or telling the same thing, in two ways, in both a negative and a positive way. And this, I mean, this happens all the times in the Psalms through the parallelism, which is kind of the rhetorical device, the poetical device more, most common in the Psalms. So thank for, take, for instance, Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Right? The negative statement, cast me not away from your presence, describes what God could do to us if he dealt with us according to the law, according to his strict judgment. But God doesn't do it. We pray. We pray that God doesn't do it, even though we know that he won't do it. Right? He does not reject the the penitent sinner, but he does the positive thing, which is he creates in us a clean spirit. Likewise, God doesn't lead us into temptation, but rather he delivers us from evil. See, he doesn't lead us into temptation, rather deliver us from evil. That's how you kind of bring them together. A second way to take it is to, is, is, is to think of it as saying something like this, Father, do not only lead us into temptation, but even more so deliver us from the evil. And why, why is this kind of a good reading too? Because if you even take Christ's example in Matthew 4, it was the Holy Spirit that led Jesus into the desert to be tempted, right? So when we say that God leads us into temptation, we are not saying actually that God is tempting, He's just bringing us to the fight, right? Right? Is what God the Father did with Jesus, or the Holy Spirit did with Jesus? He brought Jesus to the fight, and the text says, "So that he be tempted by the devil." right? So the devil does the tempting, but God sometimes leads us into the conflict. So that he accomplishes his purposes through us. Um, Luther describes uh, a full range of of temptations, and he says that temptations um, come in three kinds. Um, he likes two and three. He's always okay. It's always two things, three things. I mean, um, three kinds, and these three kinds are, you know, are. Th- what we would call, I think, I think in a good way, you know, the unholy Trinity is the flesh, the devil, and the world, right? So, 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 Luther says that um, we are tempted by the flesh because the flesh lures us daily into things like unchastity, laziness, gluttony, drunkenness, greed, deceit, and so on, right? The world. The world assails us by word and deed and drives us to anger and and impatience, hatred, envy, enmity, violence, injustice, vengeance, cursing, reviling, slander, arrogance, pride, and so on and so on and so on, right? And the devil, he says, the devil baits us on all sides, but especially in the conscience and in spiritual matters. His purpose is to make us despise God's word, make us despise His saving work, tear us away from faith, hope, and love, right? Draw us to unbelief, to denial of God, to blaspheme His name instead of hallowing His name as we prayed in the beginning of the prayer. So... Um, these two petitions, they are um, they are to be prayed. They, they they must be prayed against the pathetic confidence that we can overcome temptation by ourselves. Right? Doesn't that happen all the time? We have a weakness and we try to get around it and we fail because we haven't prayed we haven't kind of done the right thing which is to pray get, God, uh, ask God that he does something about it right uh, when Jesus was about to be uh, delivered betrayed right uh, in Matthew 26 he told his disciples whom he knew that uh, they would they would uh, fall in, into temptation, he said watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. So he went on and prayed by himself and then he came back and what did he find? He find the disciples sleeping, right? Then what happened? They all fled, right? They all fled uh, and left left Jesus. so every hour we need to pray that God may not allow us to fall into sin and unbelief without God's help it is impossible to endure even the smallest temptation. so we must pray against against temptation and i th- and I think that you know prayer kind of helps us in in, in two ways it helps us because we ask god that he helps us that he delivers us but it also helps us because i don't know if you have experienced this but perhaps when you are praying you kind of feel temptation going away right you are Conversing with your father, we are not thinking about it. Um, So pray when temptation comes, right? James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, to experience temptation is quite different from consenting to it, right? All of us experience temptation and we will always experience it. but we can only be harmed if we consent. The experience of temptation doesn't harm us. Um, because temptations cannot demand that we follow them. Right? In first Corinthians, Paul says No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with it, with the temptation he will also provide you the way of escape that you may be able to endure it and likewise in hebrews 2 we read for because he himself christ has suffered when tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted and later on he says that christ is sympathetic with us right He sympathizes with our weakness because he has been there, right? He knows what it is like to be tempted, but yet without sin. So he wants to help us to be tempted, but without sin. Now, we are not praying in this petition that attack, that temptation and all evil be taken away. But we are praying this, that we may find the Father's hand in the dark and believe that it will be all right, that everything is going to be fine. Amen is the last word of the prayer. And... uh, Luther says about the the word Amen that the efficacy of prayer consists in our learning also to say Amen to it. That is not to doubt that our prayer is surely heard and that it will be answered. This word is nothing else than an unquestioning word of faith on the part of the one who does not pray as a matter of luck but knows that God does not lie because He has promised to grant it. Where there is no faith like this, there can also be no prayer. So we say, Amen. We know that God will grant and has heard. So it's, it's the word of undoubting faith, a word that knows that God heard everything we said. So we speak the word firmly, and please do that. Speak the word firmly, never doubting. God says, Yes. We said Christ's words. He promises he will do his work. We trust him. Yes, yes, it shall be so. So, Amen is not goodbye, right? We are not saying goodbye, God. I've done my work. Um, it's only making an end or to making yeah, making an end to a good beginning. Right? Making an end to a good beginning because prayer will never cease, right? No matter how long you have said Lord's prayer in your life, when you say Amen, your prayer has just begun because your needs and the needs of others will never end. Right. Um, so you'll pray again tomorrow and you'll pray again the next day and the next week because you need it, right? We did it. <laughs> okay, we did it. Um, because Lord's prayer is better prayed than talked about, let's pray. Amen. thank you for these three weeks okay. see you see you at the Eucharist